0: Well, good morning. It's lovely to see you all here today. Let's pray as we look at this great passage. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word and we thank you for the opportunity it is to gather here this morning to hear your word. We do pray for us today, Fathers, we're feeling quite hot and humid. Help us to focus, help us to listen. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you will apply these words to our hearts and minds that we might live for you and that we might understand what it means to live for Jesus Christ and him crucified. We ask this in his great and glorious name. Amen. Well, Monday morning I woke up and I walked into my office and I started up my computer and what is my habit of often doing is just to have a brief look at what's happening on YouTube because that's where I get my news. And um, on, as I looked on YouTube to get my news for the day, I saw that I had a little... Bell icon, which I usually don't get. I don't usually get a message. And so I had this bell icon. So I clicked on the bell icon to see what this message was. And, it, and this is what I'd seen and a message that was sent to me. It's all a load of rubbish. More chance of me kicking poo to the moon than there being a God, especially yours. And I went, wow, that was polite and kind, wasn't it? And so I read this message And I was a little shocked by it because I'd got this message in relation to a message I'd sent actually a few months earlier. And it was a video I'd been watching by this atheist. And as I'd watched this video and listened to what he had said, I'd actually gained a lot of information from it. I'd actually found the video very, very helpful. You think, oh, an atheistic video... Helpful, But I had, because I was thinking through a particular issue that this atheist was talking about. And as I listened to what he was saying, some ideas in my head, some connections that I had been trying to make actually clicked into place. And I went, oh, that, that's really helpful. And I could see where what the atheist was saying. I could see what he was saying. I could see where he'd gone wrong. And so I'd sent back a message to him. Not a hard message. I'd actually thanked him for his video. I said, oh, thank you for what you had to say. That was really helpful. Here's where I, uh, I have found what you uh, what you said is helpful. Here's where I think you've gone wrong. I, I really thank you for your video. I thank you for the time you've taken. And to do that, I hope you have a great day. And I'd hoped for a bit of interaction. I'd hoped that he would say something. But I didn't hear anything back. And so I'd actually forgotten all about it until I saw this message. We live in an age and we live in a culture where Christianity is seen as intellectually foolish, as intellectually bankrupt, we live in an age where we're constantly told if you believe the bible, you believe the gospel, you believe its message, well then you're a fool. Because who would lead, who would believe a book that was written and finished written about 2000 years ago? It's rubbish. It's ridiculous. What would they know? They never drove a car. They never got their milk from a fridge. How would they actually understand? We know better. We are smarter. Our world, our media especially, look at our Bible and think, what a load of rubbish. It is hostile to the intellectual claims of the Bible. To be a Christian often in our culture is seen as irrational, ridiculous, incredulous. Christians are portrayed in the culture often, not all the time, but often, as speaking nonsense. We are portrayed in a media who simultaneously remains generally very ignorant of the Bible, yet whilst they try to appear as authorities who represent it without bias. And it's complete rubbish. When I first became a Christian, I had subscriptions to Time magazine, to The Economist, to Newsweek and the Sydney Morning Herald. And I read them all religiously. I read them all the time. But when I first became a Christian, it wasn't long that before I'd cancelled all those subscriptions. And I cancelled all those subscriptions for a simple reason. As I was reading what they were saying, and you know, they often had stories about religious things and they often had stories about Christianity in them. As I read what they were saying, I'm going, yeah, but what you're saying here isn't what the Bible is saying. Why aren't you representing what the Bible actually says? Who at Easter and Christmas time, when you're watching TV, what do the TV news presenters always say? The leaders of the churches presented a message of peace and goodwill to all men. And I always think, wow, you mean none of them mentioned Jesus at the resurrection at Easter? I'm shocked. But that's our media. It represents it. You know, we have a news organisation. The biggest media corporation in Australia is the ABC, which I've taken to calling the Atheistic Broadcasting Corporation. Because that's what they produce time and time again. And I think, wow, if they cannot produce what Christianity is actually saying, and I know what the Bible is saying, why am I going to trust them to tell me about subjects that I have no idea about? And so I stopped. I cancelled my subscriptions because I couldn't trust them. Now, as Christians, we can sometimes think, wow, they get it wrong. They're always putting us down. It's so tough. It's so bad. We need to actually get out there and present the message and make it more palatable so they actually understand what we are saying. Let's get out there and we'll find the silver bullet and then they'll finally listen. They will hear us and the people will come flooding back in the church and everything will be great. We'll have campfires. We'll sing kumbaya. It'll be awesome. And that's complete rubbish. We can get pessimistic Oh, it's so tough. They never listen to us. They always get it wrong. What are we to do? Oh, woe is me. I'm persecuted. Is that the way we should respond? Should we respond optimistically if we just find that bullet? Or pessimistically, oh, woe is me. Is that what the gospel is calling us to do? I think the Bible tells us to call, and this passage especially, doesn't tell us to be either overly optimistic, neither to be overly or pessimistic. And actually as we look at the world I think the Bible very clearly teaches us that what we see happening to Christians, what we see happening to the Christian message isn't new. This what's happening has always been around and that we actually do have an answer. The question isn't What should we do? We'll find that the question is, who shall we trust? Whose power is stronger? This morning as we look at Paul, we're going to see that the power of the gospel is sufficient, that the power of the gospel is strong, that we can trust our God. Our question will be, will we trust our God in the face of the onslaught of the world? Now, the last few weeks... David and Andrew have been taking us through 1 Corinthians and done an awesome job. David looked at the divisions in the church. He saw that we were not a united church, that, we, that well, the Corinthian church was organising around factions. And, he, and as David rightly pointed out, don't do that. Andrew spoke about last week the need for humility, the need not to put ourselves first, But as we'll see this week, we'll see the power and the strength to remain united, the power and the strength to be humble. As we look at the Corinthian church, we see that it was in a rich city. The Corinthian church, well, the city of Corinth itself, was a very rich city. It actually, around the city, and this is estimations of the time, it actually had agricultural support for 12,000 people. Yet 17,000 people actually lived in the city and the reason 17,000 people lived in the city was the amount of trade that was going through the city. The city of Corinth was in a very strategic point in the Roman world because it facilitated a lot of trade and that trade and that money brought people in. People went, beauty, cash, I'm going there. And so they came together and it gathered a great eclectic group of people of different cultures... Or aspiring to be richer and wealthier. The city had a very rich upper echelon that controlled the char- trade and a great deal of aspirational people trying to get in on some of the action. And so what you see in the Corinthian city is a city that's multicultural, aspirational and very wealthy, has a very wealthy elite while the masses are generally struggling to get by. Sounds a lot like Sydney. And what you see in this city is this little church. And this little church is struggling to get a foothold in this culture. It's proclaiming a new religion. And it's proclaiming it to a culture that values power, that values rhetoric, that values wisdom. And says, these things are the most important. These things look impressive to the world. This is what you need to do. And Paul has a simple message for this little church, struggling to have a foothold. And he says, here is the power of the cross. Verse 1. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Here is this little church struggling to make an imprint struggling to have impact in a culture obsessed with power and brilliance and Paul is saying I didn't come with brilliance, I didn't come with great strength I came with a simple message Jesus Christ and him crucified Our culture values power. Our culture values looking impressive. Being on the university campus, you saw how the academics would produce paper after paper after paper, all trying to appear to look brilliant, all trying to look great. And Paul is saying, no, that's not our way. Our way is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And as I was preparing this Bible study first on university campuses, I looked at this passage. I looked at that and I went, I don't really understand what that means. What does it mean to know Jesus Christ and him crucified? What does it mean to know among you? Jesus Christ and him crucified. And as I reflected upon that, I came to realise some really important things. And these ideas keep coming and flooding back to me again and again. And it starts with a principle that most of us have never really thought of but is actually really essential. And it's simply this, that all knowledge is moral. All knowledge is moral. And you go, how is knowledge moral? And it's simply this. When you live your lives in everything you do, in everything you're using, as you sit there on those pews, hot, sweltering, hoping for the fans to cool you down, and I'm standing up here and I'm going, I wish the fans would actually hit me, and I'm going, oh gosh, it's hot. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, how is me sitting, how's that moral? I'll tell you. You're sitting there on those pews and you're sitting there and you're listening to me. You're using those pews that are actually being sustained by God at every moment of every hour. You are breathing air that God is sustaining every moment of every hour. In everything you do, in every action you take, you are making a statement to God. You are relating to God. You are saying something to God. You sit there in those pews on this hot, humid day and you're saying to God, this is important. It is important that I come here and hear God's word. It is important that I am being encouraged and that I encourage others to hear God's word. You're saying, this is important. Though I am hot, though I'm really not enjoying being in this building, I know that this is important to sit here and listen to to God. You could pick up those pews conceivably grab the pew, come out and whack me on the head and then walk out and go, well, that was a far better use of the pew. <laughs> but you know that that's not right because you are making a statement to God. Now, here's the point where Paul is saying, in all that you do, in every action you take, you are to take an action that reflects Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is, you take actions that lay down your life for others. The gospel message is a powerful message and it's a powerful message because of this. We have all rebelled against our creator. You, I, every one of us. We have all said to God, get lost. But God in his great mercy sent his one and only son and as Jesus died on that Roman cross 2,000 years ago, the Father poured his anger for the things we have done upon his Son. He poured his wrath so that we could actually have a right relationship with God. Jesus died to bring you back into right relationship. Jesus died so that you could know God Rightly, live in a right relationship with Him forever and ever. Jesus used His power and His strength to bring us, to redeem us, to save us. The cross isn't impressive looking, the cross is a bloodied man, weak, suffering at the power and might of the Roman Empire. Yet at that very time where Jesus and God looks his weakest is the very time where God saves and restores his people. That is the power of God. When things look bad, things look bleak, God is working to restore his people. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the message. That is Jesus Christ and Him crucified for us. And that is the way that Paul calls us to live. Not in strength, not in power, not looking impressive, but in weakness. He says in verse 3 I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching, they were not with persuasive words of wisdom but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not be based on human wisdom but on God's power. The world will never accept this message. Why? Because it doesn't seem powerful. It doesn't seem impressive. It doesn't look great. But to the Christian, we know the gospel is the power of the God to save everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. When I went to uni, my second year on uni, I had no one in the campus group, no one. And I, was, had, I had to go onto campus and I was, had no group, I had no help. All I had was a few sheets of paper saying I'm going to teach the Bible and I had a booking for a table. And I was like praying to God, I don't want to go, I don't want to do this, I don't know who's there, this feels like a waste of time. But I stood at a table and I said to people, this was my great message for building great university groups. Do you want to read the Bible with me? And that's what I did. People would walk by, do you want to read the Bible? And I had 35 sign-ups, which sounds awesome. 15 of them came. But that 15 read the Bible. And we grew and grew as a group. See, it doesn't seem impressive to teach or preach God. It doesn't seem impressive to our world. And then we see the power of God. What is the power of the Spirit here? It is actually the resurrection. That's what Paul is talking about. We see in the resurrection God's power to say, I am going to change the world. I am going to make it better. I am going to change everything. And our world goes, a resurrection. And you've got to understand as well why this is so antithetical in that culture. They believed in their culture, where Paul was writing this, that they had to uh, transcend the flesh, that they had to move beyond the body to resurrect the body, to resurrect the flesh. Are you nuts? This is what we're trying to get away from. And Paul says, no, no, no. This is what God is going to make new. This is what God is going to change. He is going to change the world. Through this gospel message, and he's given a demonstration of it. Trust me. Believe me. And our world looks at that message and goes, You fools. That has no power. That will not change anything. On my morning walks, I often walk past Campbelltown Community Centre. And I've been doing this for years, and they've got a sign on the on the side of the community centre at Campbelltown that says this: "Say no to domestic violence." And I've looked at that sign. and I thought, oh, really, that's all you've got? Say no. Say no. Oh, the man, the husband, drunk, drug-fuelled, walks into the house, beats his wife, beats his children. Say no. That's going to change things. And they're not putting down domestic violence and just look at it and just go, that's not going to change anything. Did they not know that before? That beating beating their wives, beating their children was wrong? That's going to change it, no. Remember the NRL, it was about 10 years ago, I'm listening to the radio, comes on, we're going to come up with this great plan. We've got our great plan to teach our players not to sexually abuse women and treat them badly and go on social media. We're going to spend $4 million teaching guys that using social media and abusing women and sexually using women is wrong. Ten years later, $4 million. Has the NRL changed? No. Is that going to change? No. Just say no, then they'll they'll learn Oh that's bad, I shouldn't do it. They knew. We all know that is wrong. The question is what is going to change people? What is God's answer to the to domestic violence? Here's God's answer. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave his life for it. To lay down your life as our Lord and Saviour did. Our world looks at that and goes, you're going to trust a Messiah who died on the cross to fix domestic violence? You're crazy. And we go, no, that's the power of God. To change lives. To change hearts. We're going to trust God because we know that he is making all things new. We know that his power can fix the problems of the world. Christian people will learn over time to trust God. Christian people will say God is more powerful than the powers of this world because we know that that is true maturity. We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen No ear has heard and no human heart has conceived. God has prepared these things for those who love him. Though our world will never understand the gospel, Christians will always know the power and know its strength. That is maturity, to trust God's word, to trust the cross. What is our world's? Answer to all problems more power, more guns, more government, just more, more, more until you build things up, until we get to the point that if you shoot and I shoot back, we're both going to be destroyed. That was the policy, official policy of the two most powerful nations on earth mutual assured destruction. And they thought that was a great idea. And our world still thinks it's a great idea. If you're weak, we give you more power. That way you can shoot back. Okay, that sounds good. You're teaching me to live on the precipice of destruction. Sounds like a plan. Sign me up. No, no, no. Trust me. Our powerful way works. No, it doesn't. What's the definition of insanity? to do the same thing expecting different results. Our world keeps doing it. More power, more strength. Just give me more, 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 and then I'll fix it. But actually the cross says that is crazy. That is why the rulers of the age never understood it. That's what verse 8 is really saying. If our rulers had actually understood what God was doing they would never have crucified Jesus. Why wouldn't they have crucified Jesus? Because the crucifixion makes them look foolish. It says their way is stupid. Their way will not work ever. It is the power of the gospel to change people's lives. It is the power of the crucified Lord that can change people and make them different. A message that our world says is Foolish is actually mature. And we say, I will trust him. Time after time, Christians come to me and they say to me, but it doesn't seem to work if we just do this thing, if we just use this silver bullet, if we just actually, you know, do these nice things, then they'll listen, then they'll understand. And I've I've got to be honest, I've done them all. When you're in university ministry, one of the things you learn very quickly in university ministry is the amount of stuff you can do to try and impress the world. And it's quite a bit. And then you'll realise you can gather massive groups. You know, I have cooked enough pancakes and sausages to last till rapture. Done it so many times. And we got great groups. Heaps of people came. And then we pulled out the gospel and they were all gone. Because it doesn't work. What you use to bring people is what you need to keep them. The power of the gospel is a simple message. For I resolve to know nothing... Except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And you think, how does that help me when I'm feeling low? How does that help me when I'm feeling bad? And Paul says this Now we've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. And you go, yeah, that sounds all really good. Well, what does it mean to be spiritual? Every man in his dog claims to be spiritual these days. But what does it mean? And here's what it means to be spiritual. It means to trust in Jesus Christ and him crucified. So you wouldn't trust in Jesus unless the spirit of God was in you, teaching you, changing you to trust in that message. How do you know if the spirit is working in you? You're trusting and growing in trust of Jesus Christ. You're not relying on great strengths of power. You're not relying on an impressive church. You're not relying on great air conditioning. It would be nice, though. <laughs> you're relying on a simple message that Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of your sins. If that is your place of hope, is that is what you're relying on, go out of this church celebrating the great news of Jesus. Go out celebrating and say, I am a Christian. I am for God. That is my life. He is my future. And I am saved and I am thankful. Some of you might have come here today, and I know I spoke to a few at the start who said, gosh, it's been a tough week. Some people have gone through some tough times. Some people have gone and had a great week. Some people went down to CanCon and killed themselves. Whether you're high or low, if you're feeling high, I great. If you're feeling low, you might go, well, God's not with me. I remember one day I was at campus. You're going to hear a lot of campus stories over my time. I was at one day on campus. And... I'd, the night before, I'd been out with a friend that I'd grown up with, my best friends growing up with, and we'd had a brutal conversation. It wasn't uh, heated. It was they had just attacked me for being Christian, and I held the line. And I said, no, no, no I'm going to trust this. And they said, you're a fool, you're a goose. And I explained it all, and I gave them all the news. And a lot of the arguments I defeated, they I defeated their arguments. But I'd only defeat their arguments for them to throw another one at me and another one at me and another one at me. And by the end of the night, I felt miserable. I went home and I felt as low as a pancake, as flat as a pancake. And so the next morning I turned up to uni and I had to teach... I don't know what I was teaching. I had to teach the Bible and this, one of the students came up to me and he said, how are you, Adam? And I told him. I just, for 20 minutes I just laid it out I feel as flat as a pancake it's been a tough night I feel miserable I really don't want to be here today blah 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 and I just laid it all out and he just listened and and at the end of the conversation I thought oh how are you I won't use his name how are you and he goes I'm good I said well what can I do for you what do you want he said oh nothing don't worry about it and he walked away And I went, oh, gosh, that was pretty bad. Anyway, I just gone on. Anyway, he came to Bible study. He kept coming. And then a few months later, when he was leaving, he actually left and went to another university. He said to me, do you remember that day when I came to you and you told me all that had happened? And I said, yeah. I said, oh, I'm sorry. It was pretty bad. He said, I found that really encouraging. And I'm like, what? And he goes, no, I found it really encouraging. And I said, Why? And he said, when I came to you, I was feeling miserable. I didn't feel good. I didn't enjoy Christianity. I thought it was all a waste of time. And I I just didn't feel anything. I felt low and miserable. And then you told me how low and miserable you were feeling. (laughs) And then he said, then I understood. It didn't matter how I felt. Because Jesus Christ died for me. And that was enough. So you can feel high, you can feel great and if you do, fantastic. You can feel low and miserable and that God is as far away from you as Western Australia. But the truth is, God is never far from you. No matter how you feel, no matter your experience, no matter the day, if you know that Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of your sins, God is walking right beside you. And that is great news. That is our hope. That is our joy. It's not in displays of power. It's not in displays of strength. It is through a simple message that Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of your sins. Be thankful. If that is your hope, that is your faith, that is your trust, know you walk out this door a spiritual person fully mature sure you should grow in your faith sure you should grow in your trust but it's growing in your faith and trust of that same thing that Jesus Christ died for me and I can trust him here's the real truth What is happening to Christians and Christianity in our media is nothing new. It has been. It will be. Will things get better for Christians? Will it get worse? I have no idea. Does it matter? No. Will people come flocking back to Christianity? Will churches still remain small? I have no idea. I pray that they do. But whether they do or don't, whether I feel high or low, whether the world listens or fails to listen is irrelevant at that level. What matters is that we trust that Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of our sins. What matters is that we resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified that we lay our lives for each other and for our world, that we are not ashamed of the gospel in this dark and present age, that we will hold out the light of hope to people, knowing that God's message, though looking weak and foolish and insignificant to our world, is truly the power of God, and that God's word never fails, ever fails, but returns to him, achieving every purpose for which he sends it. And in that great knowledge, in that great hope, we trust that Jesus died for us and are thankful. Let me encourage you as a final word to you, for this verse has become the verse for me and for my understanding of Christian. For I resolved to know nothing whilst I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for Jesus. We do thank you for his death and his resurrection. We thank you, Father, that in that display of weakness, your power is made strong and magnified. We know, Father, that we have failed to live your way. We know that we have failed to live your standards. We know that we get it wrong. We know that we feel bad some days and we feel great others. Father, teach us to actually know you and know that no matter how we feel, no matter what is happening around us, that you are always with us and that we trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus and in the power of his salvation. And as we go out into the world, that we declare the gospel message as faithfully and as clearly as possible. And no matter how the world responds to that message, that that will be our only plea, that Jesus Christ lived and died for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.